Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Connections. I am Michelle Prowse, and joining me today is Lynette Ellis and Jeanette Bennett. And we are recording Conversations on the Couch. Jeanette, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited. I've listened to all the other podcasts, so it's fun to be here and see what the couch looks like that you've been sitting on. (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's way cool. It's It's kind of rad, huh? It's bright yellow for those of you who have not seen it and need to come do a podcast. And it's my happy couch. I love it. So thank you, though. I know you're a very busy woman, but you carved out time to come share with the sisters a little bit about your life and your story. And I've been looking forward to this all day. Well, good. I have, too. And everybody's busy. So I'm glad we found time to get together. Yeah, yeah, me, too. In fact, Lynette, it's been a while since you and I have made our schedules meet up. Yes, I think it was before summer vacation that we've recorded, actually recorded one together. So it's good to be back on the couch. (laughs) Yes, it is good to be back on the couch. That is very true. So Jeanette, I want to know a little bit about your family. And yeah, if you'll just start there, let us know about um, who's in your family, how long you've been, where you live in the neighborhood. Do you want to just take it from there? So we moved into the neighborhood in April of 2020. Uh, COVID land, you know, so we slipped out of the old ward, which was only a mile and a half away in Cedar Hills. We lived there for almost 20 years. So it was, it was kind of sad to say goodbye to our neighbors and ward that we loved and our stake and everything. But we were excited when we, when we became aware of this land, I just knew that we were supposed to move here. So I was trying to figure out who, who do we pay right now today? (laughs) You know, because this is this is our land. I just I just knew it and felt it. And we'd kind of been looking for houses and land for a long time. We published magazines. We published the Pray to Homes magazine is one of them. So we're always aware of the real estate market and homes and things, but nothing ever felt quite right. So then when I saw this land and it just clicked in my soul, I just knew, you know, this is it. So uh, it took us a bit to build and everything, but moved in then. We have three kids living with us. We have five total. Um, the ones that live with us are Carson. He's a senior, and Lindsay's a junior. They're both at Lone Peak. And then I have a nine-year-old, so there's a seven-year gap um, where we have our, our little caboose, our family mascot, Lola. And older than them, I have two kids that are BYU students, Nathan and Haley. And they both got married Christmas time, 2019. So while we were building the house, we were also putting on a couple weddings and uh, it was a busy time. I felt like I had appointments for the house and the weddings and, you know, it was a fun, fun, busy time and they married great people and we love it. So now I feel like I have seven kids because the new in-law kids, you know, they have birthdays and they have happy days and first days of school and all of that. And so uh, it's been, it's been fun to add them to our family right when we moved. I feel like we kind of had a restart of what the Bennett family looks like. And then my husband, Matt, and I, uh, we've been married 26 years now. So we're both from Idaho Falls. We knew each other in junior high and high school, and we're on the high school newspaper staff together, but we didn't go on a date till after his mission. We were friends. We were in similar friend groups. We went on some double dates where we were, you know, with other people. There's one classic picture of us on that double date where I'm wearing my favorite sweater, 80s sweater. Yes. <laughs> and we were at my, the person I was dating's house and, and Matt was standing next to me on the pool table. And so little did we know that would like make it into the wedding video years later. 
Um, and then we were just, you know, friends. He served his mission upstate New York and I was going back to serve in, um, the Hilcomora pageant to be a dancer there. And so, because I knew he was there and we were friends, I started writing him a few letters, I think three or four, just saying, Hey, I'm coming back. And what's the weather like and humidity and whatever snail mail letters. This is, you know, before Mm -hmm. email and everything. And then I was at the Hill in costume and he stopped by on his last day as a missionary. And so I, we have a picture of me on his, with him. He's wearing a mission tag. I'm standing there. We both look awkward, but, and it was all legit, right? I was just in the pageant. He was there as a missionary and then his mission ended and he flew home. And a couple weeks later, the pageant ended and I flew home and, uh, I was in Idle Falls for a few weeks. We both were before we went to different colleges and just started dating 24-7 basically and and got engaged a few months later and got married a year later and, um, and then did our schooling at BYU and both studied journalism. So I was journalism and business. He was journalism and English. And, and that's kind of the beginning of, of our family. And um, so I feel like Utah and Idaho are still homes to us. You know, my parents still live in Idaho. And most of Matt's family has migrated to Utah, but the two states are home. And when I see an Idaho license plate, I I just put my hand on my heart. Yes. Like I literally oh, just I did totally know. Yes. I get I that same way. Yeah. Lynette and I are from the same state. Yes. yes. Her, I was going to say you have that in yeah. common. Her dad was my orthodontist. And, and you have a dude. gorgeous smile. Oh, well, thank you. Gorgeous smile. Yes. Sure. Thanks to your dad. Well, that's fun. I did not know that you were an Idaho Falls girl. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yes, and I still, one of the things we publish is the BYU Idaho magazine. You so do? That, that gets me back to Idaho once or twice a year okay. for interviews and photos and things. So that's really fun, too, because I feel like I'm still part of that world, even though I doubt we'll ever move back. I don't really see that happening, but I still love keeping that connection alive and being back up there. I love, I love BYU Idaho. I taught there for a couple years, um, right before we started the magazine. And so I just have an affinity for that school and its mission. And so that, that project gets me back there every year. And my parents like that project because they know they'll see me (laughs) at least once or twice. Yes. Yeah. That's really awesome. We've got a lot of family in Rexburg, so we spend a lot of time in Rexburg and at BYUI. A great school. I have one brother-in-law still there, so we have reasons to go back here and there. But we used to go back, you know, when you're young and you have to go home for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and then you transition, and it's too hard to go home for Christmas with all the gifts and all the kids. And you know, so when we made that transition, we we have our holidays here, and so my parents come down quite a bit, and they just had their 50th anniversary at our house. And oh wow, congrats! Yeah, that's cool. That's wonderful. So you two also both came from very big families. Seven in mine, 11 Eleven in Lynette's. Unbelievable. Okay, so I am dying to ask you a couple things. The first one is, what did your 80s sweater look like? And the second one is, was Lola a surprise? Was your caboose a yes. surprise? So I have been asked that before. We'll start with the sweater. Yes, I'm dying to know. It I don't was, know why. I just I, I want to imagine it. In my it. head, I'll see if I can describe it. It was cream colored. Okay. It had pink roses kind of embroidered up the side. Yes. And then I would always wear a turtleneck under it. Oh, it was so were. cute. That sounds amazing. <laughs> was it the turtleneck that snaps at the crotch? It wasn't. 
were awful. Yeah. And they're, were, they're in the stores again. I see yes, them. Yeah. 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 I remember those in the seventies. I remember wearing one to, to first grade. I wore one of those. Oh, wow. yeah. A snappy huh. at the yes. crotch one. Yeah, a little onesie. Yeah. Onesies. <laughs> and when you're certainly. really tall, I'm telling you, it's a horrible <laughs> idea to wear one. <laughs> Okay, so you had a pink. Yes, roses and my, on my sisters case. called it my date sweater because I would wear it if I was on a date. I'm like, I'm wearing this sweater and this turtleneck. I'm gonna look good. Yeah, nobody else has got this. Yeah. My mom made a lot of our clothes, and so awesome. I I didn't always feel like the most well dressed kid in school. So when I had that, you know, sweater, yes, that was my magic sweater. So that was that. I could find a picture if we really wanted in the oh, show notes. So I feel like we, we need that. that. Oh, that's funny. And Lola was not a surprise. Awesome. So when I had Lindsay, who's my fourth, Matt was videoing me as I'm, you know, in labor and stuff. And I said on the video, I'm never doing this again, you know, but I knew when I said that, that I actually probably didn't mean it. I kind of wanted to mean it because... Of course. You know, four kids is a lot and, you know, going through labor and everything. And Carson and Lindsay were really close together. Um, and so anyway, that was always in the back of my mind. But life got busy. I got called as Ward Young Women President and the business was busy. And so I didn't think about it a lot. It didn't weigh on my mind a lot. And then I got released from Ward Young Women like four years later. And um, I started thinking about it immediately again. And, and different things would happen. Like there's a lot of little stories of heaven just giving me little hints of don't let this idea go. And so I decided, yeah, we're going to go for it. And I got pregnant and had a miscarriage. And um, and it was hard Um, because I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I hear you, Heavenly Father, I'll do it. And then for it to not work out was surprising. And then I thought, well, he was just testing me. That was just my Abraham moment. <laughs> and I was willing to have another child and we're going to move on. And then the idea wouldn't leave me. Um, and um, we can edit out these tears. <laughs> um, the, the, finally, the, the day that I was like, okay, there is another child and I will try again. I was running a half marathon um, down AF Canyon, and it was to raise money for cancer. We we were one of the sponsors of the AF race, and so, and they give you stickers to put on your back. I'm running for so and so, someone who's fighting cancer or something like that, and and I put my grandma's name on there, Lola Lola Dawn. She had died of cancer when I was ten, and. Um, so I, I mean, I knew her, but I was only 10 and she was sick for three years and lived in California. So we didn't have a tight relationship. I just, I knew more about her than I did actually my own memories of her, you know? So as I'm running down the Canyon, I got a little bored and trying to get my mind off of my legs hurting. So I decided I'm just going to think of everything I can about my grandma. And so I was reviewing in my head, Okay, you know she loved to sing and sang in choirs. Was a really talented musician, and and then she graduated in English. She loved literature and writing, and I and I thought, oh, we would have just really loved each other, <laughs> loved to talk about words and and just literature. That would have been so fun. And and I like music too. And so I just kept thinking about how much we had in common. And then I thought about her kids, and she had four kids, two boys, two girls. 
and she had a, a caboose. But I'm thinking about the first four. My mom was one of those and two boys, two girls. And just thinking about how she did the bedrooms and in their house and just picturing all that. And then I had a really profound experience where I felt my grandma say to me, you still have your Mary, which was her baby. Oh. And I knew exactly what she meant. You still have your Mary. And, um, and then it was like, I came back into the race and was like, did I go somewhere? Like that was, that was profound. That was a real moment. So I finished the race. I went home and Haley, who was 11 at the time, um, said, Hey mom, I had a dream this morning. And it was, she said, I don't know if it was my birthday or Christmas, but it was a present holiday. And my present was a baby sister. So I said, okay, tell me this, tell me everything about this. Anyway, the stories, it it felt like a double witness of this baby girl. So again, I got pregnant and I was due on Haley's birthday with a baby girl. I knew, I knew it would be a baby girl and she came four days, she came four days early. So they don't share a birthday, but that dream, I mean, if I could have, if I would have tried to time that, and so heaven was very generous to, to me, to help me know this was going to happen and to fill me with the desire and love for it. I don't think I'm the naturally most like nurturing motherly type, you know, I never loved babysitting as a teenager, but heaven has filled me with love for motherhood and, and helped me to want these kids that have come to my home. And so no, Lola was not a surprise. Um, and I was, you know, it was, she's so much younger than the others that I get asked that a lot. And plus I have a busy life. And so it seemed illogical, but also, uh, when I was seven weeks along, hadn't really told many people, I got called to be stake young women's president. And I'm thinking, okay, God, I know these are both your idea. But this is a lot, right? <laughs> this is a lot at once. Um, but I, I was excited about both, but also a little bit overwhelmed and confused, obviously. And I went to the temple, um, you know, as soon as I could after meeting with the state presidency, which is a couple days later when Tuesday, when it opened again and went to the celestial room and did that thing where you've opened the scriptures. And I love it when the perfect verse appears. And that has actually happened to me multiple times. It does, it does work. Yes. Yeah. And the scripture was Mormon 915, God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. And in that moment, I thought, okay, I mean, it might take a miracle for me to be the mom I want to be to now five kids and fulfill my calling the way I want to do it. But if you're promising miracles and I believe in you, okay, let's go. And that's become my mantra that that's my favorite scripture. It's hanging in my garage if you ever (laughs) visit my garage. Um, and then when I went through some, through some health journeys last year, that again became, in fact, that's when I hung it back up in my garage. Um, cause I do believe in miracles and I think God is a miraculous God and his miracles aren't always what we want. It's not like you put in an order and out comes the miracle that you want, but, but I think we can exhibit faith and, and he'll give us the miracle we need. And so that's my favorite scripture, Mormon 915, came from that experience when I was expecting Lola. And she's been an absolute joy. We all adore her. 
uh, the name of our family group text is Lola's Fan Club. Oh, <laughs> and, oh my goodness. And she didn't have a phone. She has a phone now, although she loses it regularly. But for several years, she's not even on the group text, but it's, it's her fan club. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got her a phone because there was a lot of fun and jokes and pictures and plans going back and forth, and I wanted her to be part of that. So anyway, she's gotten a different parenting experience than my older kids. She got a phone early. She got her ears pierced early. She doesn't have a bedtime. <laughs> living the dream, living her best life. You know, living her best life. That's just, God knows that that happens. He knows that that's human nature for families, right? By the time you had it, you probably didn't maybe rinse off or pacify her as often as no, you No, no. Yeah, I find it under the seat of the car. Thing. That's what I do. I know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she stayed home from school today. She didn't feel great. And I think with my older kids, I was, I don't know if we were trying to win the perfect attendance award or what, but I was always, no, tough it out. Idaho roots, you know, (laughs) we don't stay home. We go to school anyway. So I've been a different parent for Lola than I have been for the others, Yeah, but she's a good one to have on the end. She's, she goes with the flow. She, she is good. She, she has sat through a lot of meetings and gone to work with me a lot. She napped in our office storage room. That sounds bad, but it, it's carpeted and nice. <laughs> she did a lot of napping there her first few years of life, and she's been really resilient. So, And a huge blessing to our family. Every member of our family needed her for a different reason. So, so when I feel those promptings come, and if it's, if it's not something that I personally want to do, sometimes I think, well, he was right about Lola. So I'm trusting again. I've got to trust that he has a plan here that, that I'm going to love and benefit from if I can just do something that feels a little illogical at the moment. I had such a relatable conversation with a child about kind of this topic just a couple hours ago. And I felt impressed to share this, something that's been on my mind with this child and, and it really ruffled his feathers. And I, And I said, one thing I've learned, sweetheart, is that even at the risk of maybe being wrong, sometimes I I question, is this a prompting? Is this my thought? But I've learned enough times that it's, it's better to act on those things and then just pray for that miracle or that you are right or just wait and see what happens than to dismiss them. Mm -hmm. Because... I just think that's how Heavenly Father works. He doesn't try to trick us. He just speaks to us in our ways that we understand. And then as we get older, we learn how to trust that communication. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely I love that. I love, I love your slogan about <laughs> Lola. It's so, it's so right. It's so true. Yeah. God has our best interest in, heart, in, in mind. And even when I look back at what I perceived as challenges, um, went through a period where I was struggling and, and, um, you know, not, not sharing what I was struggling with, with other people. And so the scriptures became a good friend and my best notations on the sides of my scriptures are from that period of my life. Mm. Um, and I still treasure those paper scriptures. They're not in great shape, but, but I love them because of all the little scribbles on the sides. And, and when a scripture hits me, um, hits me hard. Sometimes I'll write the date right there, you know, like a little note from heaven this, this day. And, and sometimes a little bit more about it, but sometimes it's more private and I just want to be like, okay, this was the date and I'll remember 
what that meant to me and um, how that was an answer or prompting or, or something. But yeah, he's been, he's been generous to me along the way. And, and even with our business, so we publish magazines, I, I felt like that along the way has been very directed by him too, which at times was difficult. I grew up with a stay-at-home mom and, and all my friends' moms were stay-at-home moms and my aunts were all stay-at-home moms. And, and, and I had a patriarchal blessing that talked about my professional life and, um, and I, a lot that was, you know, it mentions motherhood once, but other things more than that. And, and for a quiet girl who, you know, my elementary teachers would often tell my mom that I was shy. They would use that word. And I hate that word because I always took it as an insult. You know, I consider myself a listener. <laughs> I might not be the loudest person in the room, but I can tell you what everybody said with their body language and their words, you know, I'm a, I'm an observer. So anyway, um, so professional life, I'm sitting there as a young girl in Ammon, Idaho thinking, I don't know what that's going to be. But, but then as, as life has unfolded, so I graduated in journalism and worked for the new era magazine, which was a blast. And then I worked for the Deseret news and I was working there when I uh, was expecting Nathan, my oldest, and I had had just I was just finishing my master's degree also at that time, and I actually really loved my Deseret News job. It was in a high rise in downtown Salt Lake. I felt important. <laughs> I was I, I was a contributor to the team, and it was kind of my dream. And um, and then I had I had Nathan. I worked until I went into labor, and then went to the hospital and had a baby, and he was my easiest labor and my easiest kid, although I might deny that if my other kids are listening. <laughs> uh, we'll but, cut that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, I had him, and as soon as I had him, I just could not go back to that job. It just, you know, working from home wasn't a thing then. It, it was a very, I would ha- I've had to be downtown for 10 busy hours a day, and I just couldn't envision that life with him. And, and so I didn't go back. But yet there were still just desires burning in me. I had just had this education and I love communications and what could I do with it? And so that's when I became an entrepreneur. I mean, I had studied business. I got my minor in business at BYU, but I did, I did that because I thought I would write about business. I thought I would write for Inc. Magazine or Forbes or Fortune. I didn't do it because I thought I would be an entrepreneur. But once I became a mom, that entrepreneur brain just kicked on. Like, okay, <laughs> I, I want the best of all worlds. I always feel like I'm trying to do a game of Tetris with my life. How can I fit this in? If I fit it this way, if I put it sideways, if I do it early in the morning, if I do it. So um, and that's how I came to think of my life. So that's when I started my business was with a baby on my lap. And and what was Matt doing at this time? What? So he was, um, he, he had started a master's degree when Nathan was born. He didn't end up finishing that, but... Uh, he, and then he was working at a magazine publishing company at that time. And, um, and so when, when we started and the first few things are, we don't even do anymore. They were little newsletters for anyway, some boring stuff, <laughs> but it gave me the confidence to do something bigger. So, uh, the first two years were 
these littler things we were doing, but it helped me figure out what, how, how to do sales tax, how that works and how to get your business license and your, you know, the bulk mail unit and how to send out bulk mail, which we do with our magazines. And it was a lot of learning those first two years. And then, then we started Utah Valley magazine. And at that point, um, Matt quit his job and we jumped in full bore. So that was 2000. I was also teaching it. We were in Idaho for two years and I taught at BYU Idaho. It was Rick's then, um, for two years and starting the magazine and the business then just kind of fitting it in part-time jobs and working on the business together. And then the first magazine came out September, 2000. I'd had Haley by then. So we had two kids and we sold our home. That's how we printed the first issue. So we had a little bit of equity in our home because we had built it with my dad. And so we had painted it and we had Matt laid the brick and we, so we had some equity there and we moved into a little apartment with the two babies so we could print that issue. And I'm sure we concerned everyone around us because that is not a recommended behavior. But honestly, I was not fearful. I felt like we could live on very little money. We'd both grown up in really frugal homes. We hadn't been out of college very long. So I knew how to live on almost nothing. So I I was like, well, if we make even a little on the magazine, we can do this. You know, we're in this little apartment and stuff. So um, after a few issues, we could tell that it was, it was going to work. So that's when we bought our home in Cedar Hills, where we lived for 20 years. And had the rest of the kids. So anyway, so it's been 20, 21 years of the magazines. There were a couple of years before that of other things, but, uh, last year was our 20th anniversary of the magazine, which felt like a pretty, pretty big deal, you know, to make it to that point. Magazines and restaurants are the two most failed businesses. Really? So, so yeah, it feels, it feels, feels good to have made it this far and it's been a fun project. So Matt and I uh, own it. We have about 12 employees and our kids have at times have had different roles. Haley works there quite a bit right now. She's studying public relations at BYU. And so she's writing with us now and doing a good job. And we have a little products division and Carson helps run that. So it's been, you know, I always tell my kids, we grew up, Matt and I both grew up in Idaho among farmers and we have a farm and we grow words and we grow pages and, and I guess I don't grow zucchini, but <laughs> there you grow go. Words. And, you know, they help where they can. And at times they, like our bride magazine, they, they were our delivery crew for a lot of years because we did door-to-door distribution to all the college complexes. And so they had their little roles and Big Brother would drive the car and the little kids would drop the magazines on every doorstep. And so we've included them a lot through the years and it's been, it's been a fun thing, you know. One, one time a, a, my son's friend's mom asked asked my son does your mom work full-time and he's he was like i i don't really know what that means you know because we don't really think of it that way it's it's life and it's all one big swirling circle you know the kids come to work work comes home you know dad goes mom goes back and forth and because matt and i have owned it together we've been able to um work that out, you know? So when we had little kids, especially one of us would, for the most part, be home. The other one would go, we'd switch, we'd switch, we'd bring the kids. If the phone rang, the other parent takes the kid. It was a complicated orchestra of making that work. And at times we had, we had some part-time help as well, you know, cause a, a toddler at an office is not very good. <laughs> a baby's actually no problem. Because they sleep a lot and yeah. they'll take a binky and stuff. But a toddler that wants to open drawers and pull out all your files, 
that doesn't work. So, so we've just re refigured it out every few months for 20 years, you know, of how the schedule is going to work. And when I've had a baby, all five of my babies have been, um, they've preferred nursing. None of them have taken a bottle. So for, and I've nursed them all for a year. So though for those five years, one per kid, I really pulled back and I felt like that was God helping me stay grounded, stay connected to my family. Don't be a workaholic. <laughs> I remember when I was, I got asked to moderate the governor's debate and I had a nursing baby and I was in the car nursing him. Um, in, you know, and I was going to hand the baby off and I'm watching all the dignitaries walk in. I'm seeing everybody walk in and I'm there in the car, like <laughs> hunkering down, nursing a baby. And, and then, you know, I hand the baby off, zip up the suit, walk in and, and did, you know, moderated the governor's debate and go get the baby. And it's been a lot Hope of that. your nursing pad didn't like <laughs> slide down your, I, I have your shirt or <laughs> a few leaking issues or, you know, some fun stories with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely been been some fun times, and when I remember when we were doing the Olympic issue, we were still working out of our house at that time. We worked out of our house for the first two years, and we got an office. And I was tending my nephew, and um, the CEO of Newskin called me back. I've been trying to get an interview because they were sponsor of the Olympics, and my nephew answered the phone. And I was just dying because I was trying to act like our business was bigger and more successful. And I was older than I was. I was trying to put off this very professional vibe. Things like that do happen to me now. And I'm not as bothered by it at all because I'm just like, oh, that's, you know, that's my kid. Or I'm at gymnastics right now. If you're hearing that, you know, I've come to terms with it. But in the beginning, I think just because I was so young and, and I just wanted to look professional and not look like I was, you know... Uh, just a mom with just Duct a mom, tape you know, together. You right. tape, air quotes there. Yeah. But like, like Steve Young, when I interviewed him, I was nine months pregnant and you know, that wasn't how I had worked really hard to get that interview. It had taken a long time to get it. And, and then when it's time to go, I, I'm like, this isn't how I envisioned, <laughs> you know, this interview with me waddling over there doing it, but everyone has been so nice and accommodating and it's life, you know? There, there's not work you, home you, church you. It's all you. It's all one person. And, and I think that being, being that one person is actually a key to connecting with others. And so I, I, I see that in you. I feel like you, you know, I, I watch what you do and you've, you've really learned to balance that. And, and I think who you see is, you know, you really represent who you really are. I mm. love it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And along those lines, Lena, I was thinking the same thing as, as you're talking, I'm thinking here is a person that is living what they were meant to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, even from a young age, you identified that you had this love for this. You were in your junior high, high school classes in journalism where you Mm -hmm. met your husband, but obviously you had a love for words and these things and you figured out how to just make that a part of everything that you've done. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And I'm asking you this. I think it is, but is that for you the key to your happiness? Because you didn't abandon you know, what you felt like your calling was. You weren't asked to decide between motherhood or fulfilling something intellectually or that you had just a great amount of natural passion for you figured out 
probably with the Lord's help, how to do them both, how to do all of it and make it a beautiful, customized plan for you. Well, thank you. I I do feel like what you described is is true and that with God's help that I've tried to create this life where I can be the mom that I want to be. I'm a very imperfect mom, but I have been a a present mom and I have a career that has brought me a lot of joy and it's our family's livelihood. So that has been fulfilling. And I feel like along the way, right before the first magazine went to the printer, um, it was, it's crazy looking back. I, we got asked to do so many things. Will you go do this temple assignment for the ward? Will you go do this welfare farm thing? Will you tend this blah, 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 you know, over and over again, over again in a few weeks time. And, and I was feeling like God was testing us, um, to see, okay, will you still put me, God, I'm saying first. And so we did all the things we were asked to do. And I actually had an epiphany in Relief Society the other day with, with you, lovely Relief Society presidency. And I can't remember who said it, but this, the, the feeling that I got was that experience. And I was rewinding time. Those 21 years was not just for God to see how you would be. It was for you. Hmm. It was for you to see how you would fit it in. And if you would choose those things and it was meaningful to me because, um, that did set the stage that those silly few weeks of those silly, you know, not silly, but you know, the welfare farm and all these things that the time seemed like just things to check off the list and go put in the hours and stuff. But it, it has sort of set the tone for, um, how our lives would be, which was a, combination of a lot of things, you know, trying to fit in things and trying to put family and, and God and our callings first, you know, and I don't want to make it sound like it's been perfect. It has not, nor do I want to make it sound like I think every woman's path should be mine because I do not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that through the years have asked for advice, career advice, and especially a lot of my friends when, Cause a lot of them didn't have a Lola, right? A lot of my friends that are my mm. age had their kids, had their three or four kids or five even. And, and then they were done sooner than I was done. So then their kids were all in school and they were coming to talk to me saying, what? I kind of want to do something. The kids are on school. I don't know what. And, and it's not like I think everybody should have a career or should work. And one of the things that I tell them is, you know, summers are, are hard for work. I just try and be realistic. You know, kids in the summer want their moms to open their otter pops and drive them to the swimming pool and, and all of those things. And so there's a lot that women juggle and, and we're very fortunate if we have choices of whether to work or not. Often there's not that choice, but, um, in my case, I think it's part of the fabric of who I am. And, it took me a little while to realize I didn't necessarily fit the mold. And in fact, when we were in our newlywed years, we were in this newlywed ward and it was a bread. There was some like relief society thing. Everybody make homemade bread and bring homemade bread. I tried, (laughs) I tried to make bread and it went horribly wrong because I have very little homemaking skills. Okay. I'm not good at the things Mormon women are usually good at. I went to the store and bought what looked like homemade bread and put it in a pan and took it to the church. Okay. I'm I'm admitting my low moments. Okay. And then it had like this beautiful, it had like this beautiful top to it, you know? 
and I, I heard some ladies standing next to me saying, I wonder how she, I mean, they didn't know it was me who brought it. I wonder how she got that top to, to crust quite like that. And I'm just sitting, I like, it's easy. You just do this and then that and, and that, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go. Someone's here for me. So I had a few times early on where I tried to pretend maybe that I was someone different Hmm. and that's after a while that first of all, it's exhausting. Hmm. And then it's not needed. You know, I, I became more comfortable in in saying, you know, I actually am not, I, I don't bake bread. <laughs> I don't sew. I don't do a lot of the things that maybe my mom did, you know, and my aunts. But I have some other skills, other things to offer. I had an experience a few years ago where a woman that had been so good to me, she had shown up with dinner so many times when I had needed her, had a hard day or anything. And I always felt bad because I'm not very good at bringing people dinner. I'm not very, I'm not a very good making dinner for my own family type person. (laughs) So I had never brought her dinner. And then she had a tough experience. Her son was one of the missionaries that was in the Brussels airport bombing. And so it became a media firestorm. And I called her up as soon as I saw it on the news, said, could I come help you? And I went up there and for... A few days, I stayed up there and handled all the media requests, answered all their phone calls, just you know, coordinated all the media, helped them get organized to fly over there to get him and everything. And it was one of those moments of realizing I couldn't bring you dinner, but I can talk to CBS News. Oh, <laughs> you know, yes, I can do that for you. And in realizing, you know, maybe it's okay that I don't bake bread. <laughs> um, maybe there's other ways I can help. But it actually took a lot of years for me to realize that and to feel comfortable with it and not try and explain it away or try and pretend that I'm just like everybody else. I'm not just like all my sisters. I'm just like all my neighbors. I finally realized I'm really actually not. (laughs) I'm not like everybody. Um, You know, I don't have Lena has amazing crafting skills and artistic skills. I like ideas. I like words. I'm a hard worker, but I'm not, I'm not crafty and I'm, you know, I'm not a typical woman, <laughs> air quotes I'm saying. Um, and so I think we all just need to figure out how we can help and bring that to the table, you know, and accept it of everybody else too. You know, some women can have 12 kids. Lynette's mom had 11 and she's like one of the most amazing people ever. That's not everybody's journey. That's not everybody's gift. And isn't that awesome? You know, we'd have crowded primaries if we all had 11 kids. Oh boy. We can't all do it the same way. And isn't that awesome? Thank goodness we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a powerful message. I, I think let's talk about the culture for a minute. Let's talk about the culture that the three of us belong to and our listeners most likely belong to the culture of, I think it's getting better. I think the idea of what the culture is of a, of a LDS woman, but the culture has been such that I think has played into your guilt or maybe questioning your own value as a mom or a wife. Once you're in the crowd of other LDS ladies, you're like, like, I can't bake bread or I can't cook, you know, I can't uh, grow zucchini or whatever. (laughs) But the things that you do do, 
So how do we as women help improve the health of the women in our culture to say, be you? Mm-hmm. What, it, what are you? And stop comparing. I think mm-hmm. we just and have to And what does God that. value? Really, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, does God really value homemade bread over the work that you've done as a journalist? Of course not. Yeah. I think... I'm just thinking out loud, and I would love to hear what you, uh, Lynette, and Jeanette have to say, but I'm thinking if if God has told us from the beginning that what he wants for us is for us to be happy, and so he gives us commandments and he gives us ideas of how to be happy, well, part of being happy is being our authentic selves. Absolutely. let's talk about that discovery and, Mm -hmm. and how do we work on that in our culture so that... Nobody feels shame about being a working mom or for me, I'm not a working mom. I'm only a stay at home mom, you know, and I look at you or, you know, we've got this comparison game going on. So let's brainstorm that for a second. I mean, from your experiences, what can, so the question was, what can we do to improve the culture? Because it's culture, it's not doctrine. Mm -hmm, Right. And how do we find our authentic selves and fly from there? Lynette, do you have anything to say that well, comes to mind? I just think, you know, discovering your talents really, and I think sometimes that those get lost in motherhood because we're so focused on the children, um, you know, taking care of their needs. I think we need to remember that we, we are, we're people too, and we need to really find what um, drives us mm-hmm. besides, you know, being a mother. So I think it's important to, you know, figure out what your passions are and and take opportunities to learn more and explore. How does one do that when they are so completely in the mom zone? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Mom 24-7. Mom doesn't even get to go to the bathroom without a baby yeah. at the door. No, when, How do you find your passions? Well, I know when um, when Chad was in the Air Force and he was traveling a lot and our children were young and I I I was just really pretty strict about bedtime. I needed I needed some a uh, carve out some time every night where I wasn't needed by mm-hmm. any little hands and so I was good about that and then that's when I would do my, and then anyway then when he got into dental school I would do my calligraphy at night. The children were in bed and I could do mm-hmm. I could do that and it helped bring in a little income but it's something that I love to do. Um but Love it's that. that's yeah, a great you example. To, you have to prioritize some me time. Okay. And Jeanette, what do you tell your, your friends that are like in a funk? Oh my gosh, I've got this time now and who am I and right. what do I do? I'm having this crisis. Where do I go? Usually when I'm having one of those conversations, I realize they're doing a lot of comparison. And, and we do that as women and maybe as humans, you know, mm-hmm. of, well, I should be working or I should be that. Well, no, let's not, let's back off. Let's just talk about you. Let's just figure out you. And, um, there's no right or wrong answer from, from the outside perspective. It's not like I, I we should not have expectations of each other of what we do with our time and our talents and all of that on earth. We get to decide that with God. And I think that's one of the awesome things about being a woman is that our plan is not as laid out for us as for the men. For example, young men grow up knowing that they're expected to serve a mission. 
and that they're expected to have a career and provide. And as women, the mission is more of an option. The career is often, if you have one, in, interrupted or, you know, you, you have years when you're not doing that and years when you're doing it part-time or whatever. And what that does is it gives us ample opportunity to go to God and say, let's figure this out again. You know, should I go on a mission and should I get married and should I finish my schooling and should I, you know, I always think schooling is a good idea, but just, you know, what should I do here and should I work right now? Should I pull back? And And a man is probably not asking those same questions, right? So I think it's a positive, you know, that it gives us that chance to get on our knees and figure it out again and not just walk into this life and just let the years clock by, but continually check in with heaven on, is this what I should be spending my life doing? You know, is, is, am I on track with what you have in mind for me? And I think a lot of times he doesn't give you a exact yes or no. It's a lot of things I think are up to us. And then we ask for his help with those, those things. But I do think there are times and I have felt that when he does have a specific answer. And, and for me, I do feel like I was supposed to be an entrepreneur and, and, and live this, this life. <laughs> I, I don't feel like that has been against his wishes, but quite the opposite. So um, that's advice I give women is don't compare. Let's just figure it out for you. And, um, and then a lot of times what you enjoyed as a kid, there are some, there are some hints there as to what your core person is good at and enjoys. And there's usually some sort of either volunteer opportunity or career related to those skills that you enjoyed as a kid. So kind of getting back to that, who are you? Because I I do think in those motherhood years, we're not thinking about ourselves very much. And it's a really beautiful time. And I actually miss my little kid years in a lot Mm. of ways. Um, But you're not sitting around thinking, well, what do I want? You know, Um, but there are times in your life to really think about what do I, what do I want? You know, do I want to pursue music? Do I want to volunteer more? Do I want to have a temple shift? You know, all of these things, you know, we we really get to figure it out and dive in and figure out what matches who we are and the stage of life we're in. And I think it's honestly awesome. You know, I do think when you were saying we have sometimes a culture of comparison and, and expectations, I, I think it's gotten better. And honestly, in this ward, which I know I still feel so new in this ward, but it feels very accepting. I actually don't think this ward feels very cookie cutter. I think we have a lot of unique people and perspectives in this ward. And I really, really love that. I was happy when I moved in to see that we have a good sized primary and youth program and people in their forties and people in their seventies. You know, there's a really wide range and I think that makes a great ward. I agree. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited yeah. about that. But I also think it starts with our kids, with you know activities that we do with, with girls and, and things, just helping open their minds to different things they might want to explore. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of jobs in technology right now, and they want women. They know that they need some women for diversity on their teams. And because they're making technology for women, they want women on their teams. And girls haven't gone into technology traditionally. So there are a lot of initiatives right now to help girls understand that technology is a really cool field. And it's not as boring as you might think. You know, it's still a way to help people because women often want careers like nursing and teaching where it fulfills mm-hmm. that nurturing need, but technology can be that as well if you if it's presented the right way to a girl that mm-hmm. that might uh, be interested in that. So, 
I think that that's the culture changes over time and, and it has a lot, you know, I feel, I feel now a lot more, um, open about my career choices than I did 20 years ago. And when I started the magazine, I always wanted to find women entrepreneurs to write about and women leaders, and they were harder to find. And that's not the case anymore. I just did our, for our business magazine, we do a 40 under 40 thing. And this last edition had 20 men, 20 women. And I'm proud of that, you know, that we have that gender equity there. So the world is, the world is a great place for women. You know, we, Utah gets, and there were headlines even just this week, that Utah is the worst state in the world for <laughs> equality. And I honestly don't, I, I have not experienced that. I think there are great opportunities and, and it's a great place for women. Really great words of wisdom. Something that's sticking in my mind that you said was about go back to your childhood. I think that's so true. You think about, I think about the things that I did as a child. I'm still doing those same things. I still go to those things when I need me time. And if I can turn that into a career or into a hobby, then I will be resonating with the person that I was born to be. What did you like to do as a child, Lynette? I was just thinking. I'm really curious. Were, so, did you just you, clean? Oh, do you know? <laughs> no, our house is really no. Clean. Yes, do it you is. know? I I love to color so much that I still have on my middle finger. If you imagine, you know, a, holding a crayon. I've got a big lump right there because I would color so much. And then and then I would um I love to do enter any coloring contest cuz I That's so cute. Usually oh, win. Oh my gosh. That's so <laughs> and, cute. And now I, lettering is my is my thing. So mm-hmm. I love I love that. But I wish I wish I would have studied graphic design. I think that's what I probably should have gone into. But I do. It was what I loved as a child. And then I have used, you know, lettering and That's cool. art kind of things my entire life. Not as a career necessarily, but um, it's something that I love to share. And I love it when people ask me to help with that kind of thing. So, yeah. So it is. That's yeah, cool. you go back to your what you, you loved do. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was a kid, we lived beside this really big open field and you don't find that anymore in utah valley i did grow up in orem but at the time of my childhood years and i grew up in the same house for 19 years i lived there and um huge it was probably well it seemed huge as a child but i'm thinking probably five acres that just was undeveloped and it had this amazing dugout in the middle, which made it perfect for doing stunts on our bikes or riding our four wheelers. And we would get super crazy. And then in the winter time, oh man, we would make sure that that sucker was iced over. And then we would do like super danger sports down in this just really deep bowl, you know, because back then, you know, you just, you didn't have any games or anything. We didn't play any, any video games or anything. We just, we just played outside all day. At least I did. I played outside all day. And uh, one of the things that I loved, love to do, and it makes me so happy when I think about doing this in this field, I would go out there and I would build all sorts of different types of huts. Seriously, I did. And then I would go dumpster diving or pilfering. I would just wander 
the fields and areas around Orem trying to find things that I could put in my hut to make them like a home. Is this so hilarious? And then I would get it set up like I would have a scrap of carpet in there. And then I would have it. And then I would even go so far as I would sneak in my mom's house and I would get one of her mason jars. And then, of course, it had to have a nice floral bouquet in there. And I made these huts and I loved it. And I would love to sit in there with my friends and we would eat in there and we would talk and have such a great time. And then we would build another one. And that's so telling. Just before we started, you were talking about how you move furniture. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm still doing that. Like my mind doesn't ever stop wanting to make spaces, you know, and I have had, you know, times when it has worked really well for me that I have run my own business doing floral and it's, it brings me tremendous joy to create. And I know that if I am to be happy, then I'm creating or I'm moving something. That's my happy place. And my husband has laughed at times. He'll come home and he'll say, wait, wasn't that, and wasn't that, and where did that go? And, oh, this is new. Or that wall wasn't that color. And, and I always look at him with kind of my little, he calls them the daddy don't spank me eyes because my, my mom and my dad tell a story when I was little I could get out of being spanked because I had these huge sparkly brown eyes and I would just look up, daddy, don't spank me. And he just would never spank me. He would not discipline me. And my mom couldn't stand it, but I had a way of getting out of things. And so I kind of look at him and he said, oh, I said, I couldn't help it, honey. The sunlight was shining in just such a way in the windows. I just had the best time and I, I lost my mind. I had a great time and he loves that about me. But what did you do as a child? Were you writing? What did you do? I read a lot and I wrote a lot. There you so go. Our first grade reading, they, were, they announced there was a reading contest in first grade. And, you know, you would you would declare how many books you read after, I can't remember, it was like maybe from first to school till Christmas or something. And I have a competitive streak in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to win this contest. <laughs> and I read yeah, 234 books. Seven-year-olds. <laughs> I read 234 books, and oh second wow. place was like 45 books or something. Oh, 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 <laughs> you smoked them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I still have one of the prizes was this great big book of facts, and I still have it in my home library. Um, oh, my and I, goodness. And I wrote a lot. I, I remember thinking, so the, the school lunch lady, I felt like nobody knew her and knew, nobody knew her name. So I interviewed her one day and wrote up this little thing, and the school the school principal put it in the newsletter introducing the new the lunch lady. <laughs> Incredible she had, she had a story, and she needed to be and she needed to be introduced to us. Oh so, my goodness! So I love the little Jeanette too. That is so <laughs> amazing, and the little Lynette. You know, and we we really are just born with these spirits from Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and. Of course, it would give them great joy if we learn how to maximize them and quit looking at our neighbor and going, oh, well, they're good at that or they're great at that and just be ourselves, right? Right. Because when we Find look at our purpose. kids, parenting is such a good way for me to get to know our heavenly parents more oh. because when I look at my kids, I don't expect them to be the same. And I really appreciate their differences. It makes for a great family, right? And so, you know, when our heavenly parents are looking down, they're like, oh, good. This one will speak out and this other one will help one-on-one and this, this one will, you know, they need us to be different in order to accomplish all the things that need to be accomplished in a ward and a stake and in the world. 
there's a lot that goes into making the world work. There's, there's a job for everybody to do. Mm-hmm. And speaking for myself, I know at times I've, I'm so sick and tired of raising kids and I, I want a career. I did not finish my schooling and uh, because I wanted to start a family. That's the only thing that made sense in my mind that I wanted to do. And so at a very young age, I started having children. And then, you know, before I knew it, they're all big. And I'm going, hmm, now what do I do? Well, I just think, again, there's a there's a job for everybody. And I Heavenly Father has communicated to me a few times when I've gone to go out in the work field and to go do things and take opportunities as a head florist here or go do this here or that there, which I know that I would do a good job at. But I felt gentle nudgings that I was needed at home and that my talent wasn't bringing in like stray children. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds weird, but that that's where I'm needed right now. And that may change in a few months. That may change in in a year. I may go out and do something just completely different. But I do have a testimony, though, that Heavenly Father knows us very well and where we will be happy and where we can put our roots down and not compare and just know, hey, I'm where I'm needed right now. And that feels so good to operate and to live when you know that you're where you're supposed to be. That feels like balance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that word balance gets thrown around a lot, and it's a impossible word because it doesn't True. really exist. But, but I think what we really want, what we're really talking about, is the peace that you just peace. you just referenced. Yes, even better word. I and told. and um, and when we're doing what aligns with our divine mission and the role Heavenly Father has for us, that feels like peace. And that's going to evolve at different chapters. You know, when you have a bunch of little kids. There should be peace in being home with them if that's, you know, if that's your situation. And and then when you're bringing in stray kids, <laughs> that should be peaceful too. And that's when that's your calling, you know. I think he would want us to feel peace about that and not feel, um, not feel like we're looking to the next stage when he still has us. He has tasks for us in this other stage. Well, I'm going to share just a really quick story. I don't want this. This is Jeanette's podcast, but I just feel inspired to share a quick, tiny little story. And that's, um, like I said, I've spent most of my time being a stay-at-home mom and doing weddings on the side when I'm just bored out of my gourd and I need to do something and my husband won't let me keep remodeling our house <laughs> <laughs> or moving it around. And anyway, I remember when my kids were were not babies, but they were still really young. And I was at the swimming pool with all of them. And this is such a funny memory. I remember Anthony, who was now seven, oh, 16, almost 17. He was probably 10 years old at this time, 8 or 10, around there. And he was in the swimming pool. And I thought to myself, all of the cool moms are laying out on the side of the pool and they're visiting. That's what moms do. They're resting from parenting. They're enjoying their time in the sun. So I was like, I'm not going to get in the water with my kids. I'm going to lay out and be with the other moms. That's what the moms do. I must have been having one of these identity crises again because I I have them every once in a while. And so I went to lay out on the chair and just kind of looking around like, oh, I'm relaxing and pretending like I like to read, but I don't. Sorry, I don't. I don't love reading. 
And um, then my son swims up to the side of the pool and he said, Mom, what in the world are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm taking a break. Like, this is what moms do. And he said, no, that's not what you do. You always play with me in the water. And it's just what I needed to hear at that moment because I remembered that's my gift. I play. That, that's what I do. I play. And um, I'm not a reader. I'm not a sunbather. I am in the water with my family. And sometimes, I guess my point being the moral of the story is sometimes if we lose our way, we kind of forget our identity or we're having like this moment like, who am I and what do I want to do? Maybe health challenges have, have presented, like I can't do what I used to do. You know, there's an, any number of things that maybe throw us off of of what our norm is. And I think we can depend on people that we love and we can say, what am I good at? What do you see me doing? Or call up your mom and dad. What did I love to do when I was young? Can you help me remember who I am? And then take that to Heavenly Father and ask him, where am I needed and what can I do? That's beautiful. I love that idea of asking your parents. Yeah, they know. Mm -hmm. They know. Yeah. You're such a little reader, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. This has been so uplifting for me. I want you to know that I feel like this podcast was for me today. Jeanette, and I, I'm really, really grateful to be sitting across from somebody who has been a role model of listening to your heart and making it happen. Mm -hmm. Following your passion, making it happen. I mean, you could have, I'm sure, a million times over found a reason to stop. Said, this is too hard. The Tetris pieces don't fit. <laughs> This is complicated, and I need to focus on learning to make bread. I'm obviously a horrible person and a mother. Because I can't make bread. Because I can't make bread, <laughs> heaven forbid. Yeah. But you didn't. And I'm grateful for your example. I mean, truly, I think you exemplify a beautiful woman who has found and followed her life mission and in a unique way. It, you didn't have to have anybody tell you to do it. You figured it out with the help of the scriptures and with Heavenly Father. Well, thank you. Thank you. It hasn't been a perfect life or an easy life. And there have definitely been days where I did want to quit. But when you own a business, who do you quit to? You know, <laughs> I have employees that I, I, I couldn't quit. So we adjusted, checked in with heaven, made some adjustments and moved forward. But I've loved visiting with you. I look up to both of you so much and... And all the women in our ward, I think, are just wonderful and diverse in their own ways. And I think that's beautiful. It is beautiful, like a flower bouquet. That's what I'm always yeah. saying. Like yeah. flowers, you have to have <laughs> all the different shapes and textures or your bouquet is not beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been so fun. I know you've overcome some huge challenges in the last few years. Um which is a maybe a podcast for another day. I would love to hear about it. Um, do you have like any last thoughts that maybe you would share with our sisters? Anything that you just would really want them to know? The thought that comes to mind is there's a long story associated with it, but I'll just kind of cut to the lesson to me, which was I felt like I was praying about something that I thought was going to work out a different way. And it did. And, um, 
the answer that I felt like I got was Heavenly Father said, I want you to focus on the things only you can do. And I, I think I was focusing on some things that other people could do. <laughs> and and at that time, that was a really meaningful answer because there are things only I can do. Like only I can be the wife and mom in my family. And only I can play the certain role I play with my siblings. And in my business, there's certain things that that I need to do for our business to thrive. And I, I think that that's an important thing for us all to focus on. What are the things only we can do? There's times with friends or maybe people we minister to that, that only we could maybe get them to talk about that, or maybe we're the only ones they would open the door for, or with, you know, with my kids, they're, they're, they might have friends that they play a certain role, you know? And so if there's something only we can do, I think our stewardship is to, to do that, to do that thing. And that's what I'm trying, trying to do, you know, figure out what, what can I do? What should I do? What can I do in the time that I have? And, and going through a cancer journey this past year makes you realize, you know, I've always planned to live past a hundred and I still hope to, but, but if you don't, you know, you want to have lived your life with, with as few regrets as possible. And I usually only regret things I didn't do. I don't regret a lot of things that I did do as far as, you know, conversations I started or people I reached out to. I usually don't regret that, but I, I re- regret it when I don't, you know, so just taking action. I think when we, and we, I think we've kind of started the podcast this way, but when you have a thought or an idea to actually take action, to open mm. your mouth, move your feet, do that hard thing. And, you know, if you have the spirit with you and you have a little bit of courage, I think you can do anything. I, I think you embody that. When I, when I see you, Jeanette, I see light just coming from you because I think you're doing all those things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So to me, thank Jeanette you. Bennett is walking sunshine. Oh, thank you. Now that is a great compliment, walking sunshine. Can you spell zucchini, by the way? <laughs> that is one word I cannot spell. See, I can spell grow check it. Spell be lazy. Is it Z-U? Is it two C's or two Yeah. I probably wouldn't win a spelling bee. Well, we forgive you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today and just uplifting and edifying and just, I feel all fired up. I'm just going to carve out some time and... After I move a few things in the house, right. so, as you should, <laughs> paint a I, wall or something. Paint a wall or something. I, I'm I'm really gonna think about you know my life's mission and maybe write some things down. And I hope everybody takes that opportunity to just reconnect with their souls and and figure out if there's some minor adjustments that need to be made or some maybe some thoughts they've had that they need to to act upon and be brave and that this podcast is is a big part of your new start. Thank you, Jeanette Bennett. Thank you.